0: I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to Mark chapter 7. Many years ago, my father was working for the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration. He retired, and when he retired, they presented him with a picture, and it was a picture by an artist by the name of Beb Doodle. Now, I don't know if you know about her. I think I've mentioned her work before and probably have shown you a couple of, of pictures. Now, this is the picture that they received. It is an absolutely beautiful picture. It is called Eagle Heart, and this is what she says about the painting. She says, in this painting, I use the Indian as a symbol for man living in harmony with nature. His belief in the eagle heart is so strong that he is surrounded by its spirit protectors, and he becomes one with the spirit rocks and snow. Now, if you look closely, and it's kind of hard to see it, but if you look closely, the spirit protectors are actually embedded in the uh, in the snow in the background are 13 eagle heads. You have to look really, really closely in order for you to see them. But if you look closely enough, you're able to see outlines of 13 eagle heads that are hidden. And what she does is she uses this background to be able to portray different things about the, not only the painting, but about her belief of wanting to have this this harmony, if you will, between people and creation. She wants there to be this, this wonderful harmony. And so what she does is she creates paintings that display this kind of harmony. But what you have to do is you've got to look a little bit deeper. You've got to look inside the picture to see these 13 eagle heads, if you will. Some of you may not be able to see them. She says this, I am an artist who uses camouflage to get my story across, to slow down the, view, the viewing process so you can discover it for yourself. So on one level, what do we see? On one level, we see uh, the picture of an Indian on a horse, a beautiful picture of an Indian on a horse, symbolic of harmony, if you will. But if you're able to look behind the picture, you're able to see these 13 eagle heads that promote a different message, They give us a different understanding of what she's trying to communicate. <clears throat> I use this picture as a way to springboard where I think we're at in the Gospel of Mark. What we have in the Gospel of Mark is a simple healing of Jesus with a deaf man and a mute man. And there's actually only seven verses. When you look at there's only seven verses. And it's really, really straightforward about what happened. But I think what we need to do is we need to look behind what's going on in the life of Jesus. We need to look behind in in the way that he he goes about this healing and what's going on behind the story. What's interesting is this. This record in, in the gospel, it's only in the gospel of Mark. It's not in Matthew. It's not in Look, It's not in any of the Gospels. Why would Mark, why would Mark put this one story in here unless he, there's something in there that he wants us to see and be able to experience about this? And I think when we pull back, when we step back and look behind the scenes, what we're able to see is a, a wonderful, wonderful picture of Jesus and the way that he approaches life with his disciples, with people in his message and communicating that. And so what we do is we get to step back and we get to see the life of Jesus and get an incredible picture of maybe how we can emulate him as we go about life. Mark chapter 7, begin in verse 31. Hear the word of the Lord. By the way, this ends, this text ends with this verse, verse 37. It says this, he has done everything well. If if you don't get anything this morning, I want you to get this. Jesus has done everything well. I may do a few things well. You may do a few things well, but Jesus does everything well. And I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing, but if Jesus does everything well, then what we can do, we can can trust him for the way that we live. We can trust him for where we might find ourselves this morning. Because that's what this guy had to do. Hear the word of the Lord. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. It says this. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There were some people that brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly speak. And they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. Verse 33. And he took him aside away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears, Then he spit and he touched the man's tongue. Really? in that day and age of COVID? He looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, said, in a very, very hard word to say, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were open, His tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Very interesting. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, your word says to open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. The psalmist cried that he would see you. Father, our heart's desire this morning is to see the person of of Jesus, the beauty of who he is. God, how he touched fallen humanity, that we might learn something about the way that we interact with other people. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to to sing and express our love because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a slide here, and it's kind of a description of verse 31, if you will. And if you look at this map, it's uh, in front of us. Um, Jesus kind of begins his journey in the Sea of Galilee. And so what Jesus do, Mark chapter 7, verse 20, he's in the Sea of Galilee, and then he begins to go to the courts. He goes to the vicinity of, of Tyre. We looked at this last week. The vicinity of Tyre is over there. You can kind of see it along the coast. And he's in that area, and, and this uh, Syro-Phoenician woman comes to him, and her daughter needs healing. She's possessed by a demon spirit. And, and what Jesus does is Jesus heals this woman's daughter. He simply casts out this demon. And what's interesting about this is in Mark and Matthew... What, what the, the authors highlight is this woman in Gentile territory, they're away from Jerusalem, they're away from Palestine, this woman in Gentile territory is what? She is a woman of great faith. Jesus is going out on the outside. Jesus is going into uncharted territory. He's going into the Gentile territory. And what's happening is this woman is a woman of great faith. So he's in this vicinity of Tyre. And so this morning, what we, did, we, we see him do is he, he leaves Tyre. He kind of goes up to the coast of Sidon. He's going up to the, the, the coast of Mediterranean. And then he makes this giant circle, if you will. And he comes and see the Decapolis region? That's the region that he's coming. He's coming into a region, not necessarily a city. Decapolis has the idea of 10 cities. There's 10 cities, Deca, 10. There's 10 cities here. So he's going into this region. So he leaves the Sea of Galilee and he kind of makes this, this circuit, if you this long circuit. And then he comes back into Decapolis. It would be like this. It would be like my friends here this morning. Uh, they're going to let, let's say they want to go to Alton and they want to ride their motorcycles to Alton. It would be like going this instead of going straight over to Alton 10, 15 minutes up Highway 270, 367. They say, what we're going to do is we're going to go Highway 70, to Highway 79. We're going to go all the way to Louisiana, we're gonna cross the river road, and then we're going to come down the other side. And we're going to go through and We're going to head to Alton. That's kind of what we have a description. Jesus is on this tour. Most people believe he's gone for about eight months, if you will. And he's gone through this region. He's going through all of these regions. And as they walk this maybe 150, 180 miles, we don't know exactly what's it's going. He's walking through this area because most likely he wants to get away from the religious leaders. He wants to get away from Herod Antipas. He's not fearful of these, but they're, they're hindering his ministry. They're hindering his message. The crowds of people have come alongside of him. And what's happening, they're, they're hindering the message that he wants about the kingdom of God. And no doubt as they would go through all of these pagan areas, they would see all kinds of altars and statues to foreign gods, if you will. The god of Zeus, the god of Ashtaroth that they worship entire. Eshman, the Phoenician god of healing, was considered the, the holy prince of, of Sidon. I wonder if this Syro-Phoenician woman began by taking her daughter, if you will, to one of these gods to see if they would bring healing to her. And as they traveled through this entire area, they would be walking into pagan territory. Zeus, altars, foreign worship, all of these idols. And Jesus is literally walking in this area. Foreign territory, Gentile territory with all of these people. And if the point of verse 37 is this, that Jesus does all things well, we know that he's not lost, and we know that he's not scared. We know that Jesus is very, very purposeful in all that he does. And maybe what we're seeing here is that Jesus is spending quality time, eight months or so, with his 12 disciples so that he can teach and help them Know and understand who he is and exactly what's going on and what the responsibility that they're going to need to know to be able to carry on the ministry later. Jesus no doubt is spending time with the disciples. So they come all the way around the Decapolis and look at what happens in verse 32. And I love this. Then some people, well, who are they? We don't know. Were they friends, family? members? Most likely they were friends. Most likely they were family members. And and they brought this man to Jesus. He was deaf, hardly able to speak. And and the the text says there's a crowd of people. And in the midst of the crowd, they they come up to Jesus, and then they beg him. They said, Jesus, would you just put your hands on him? Will you put your hands on him? Because we know that if you put your hands on him, you can bring healing to him. And they had this request from this man who cannot hear, and he's, he's mute. And what do we see from Jesus? He's around another social outcast. He can't hear it says he can hardly speak. which means he can probably grunt. You wouldn't know what life was like for a man like this? Most, no doubt people thought that he was insane or, or, or maybe even stupid. He lived at the humiliation of probably being separated from all of, of, of everyone else around him because he can't hear and he, and, and he can't speak. And, and so we have Jesus once again going out to the social outcasts, if you will, and allowing them to come to him so that he can hear. He can be healed, and he can see his life restored to the way that it should have been. In verse 33, I have a graphic description of what Jesus does. When you go back and read the test, it talks about Jesus putting his fingers in his ears and then spit and and touching his tongue in a very, very graphic and what we would see very unhygienic way. I find this very interesting, don't you? Why not just speak to the man? Why not just say, I'm going to heal you and and, and just speak? He did that with a Roman centurion's servant. He did that with a Syrophoenician woman. He just spoke and and, and he, he healed them just by speaking. What is Jesus doing with all this interaction by touching, interacting with him? I wonder if Jesus is speaking to this man in a way that he can understand. He can't hear he touches his ears. What I'm going to do is I, I, I'm going to heal your ear. I'm going to touch your tongue so that you can, so that you can hear. I, I wonder if what we're doing is we're seeing a picture of Jesus entering his own type of sign language to this man who cannot hear and he cannot speak. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to help you. I'm going to unblock your ears. I'm going to unblock your tongue so that you can heal. I wonder if that reminds us of the extent that we may need to go to when we minister and serve other people, the extent that we need to crawl inside of their culture, language, whatever, we need to crawl inside of their lives if we want to help them. I wonder if that's a lesson for us. Look at verse 34. Notice how Jesus responds. By the way, I think you could look at this verse and I think you could probably get a description of the entire ministry of Jesus if you can look behind the words and the actions. Notice what he says. He looked up to heaven. What was he doing? What was he doing? And with a deep sigh, you ever seen someone sigh deeply? I'm talking about deeply. Oh, that's what he does. And he said to him, half of the hard word, which means be open. What an incredibly powerful display of Jesus' actions and words. When you look at this, you see Jesus loving this man. You see that Jesus responding in an incredible way to display the very nature and character of God. He's a messenger of God. And when Jesus speaks, when he acts, lives are radically changed. And that's what we see here. We see that this man, because of God's grace given to him, his life is radically changed through the actions of Jesus. And what Jesus is doing is he's communicating to this man in such a way that he knows and understands that this is what, this is a miracle. This isn't just magic happening here. You are being touched by the very hand and nature of God. Are you amazed yet? Look at verse 35. At this. That's an incredible statement. At this. Jesus speaks, be opened. And lives are changed. Be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue loosened and he began to speak. Do you understand that this is truly an unusual miracle? Think about it. To be able to know that what you're hearing is language when you've never heard language is another miracle, right? He's not learning anything. He's not learning Aramaic. He's not learning Greek. Nobody's sounding out letters and words to him. He just is able to speak very, very plainly. That's what it says, to hear and understand and to speak it plainly. The word plainly means to straighten out things that are bent. This guy's life was bent, and Jesus speaks, and he now is able to speak very, very plainly. No therapy, no learning curve, nothing. He instantly received the ability in the language to hear it and speak it implanted him this is absolutely a stunning miracle no learning curve whatsoever this man was unable to speak and now he's able to speak and again notice what it says very plainly so you have the requests you have the results and then in verse 36 and 37 we have the response verse 36 says Jesus command them not to tell anyone but the more he did so the more they kept talking about it people were overwhelmed with amazement he has done everything well. They said, "He makes even the deaf here and the mute speak." I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I'm like, "Okay, I'm a little bit confused." Jesus, I'm, I'm just a little bit confused. To me, I, I see it attention here, and there's attention in the Gospel of Mark, and the tension is this: What do you mean? Don't tell anyone. I, I, again, you keep telling people not to tell anyone. In Mark chapter one verse forty-four, uh, when Jesus healed the man with leprosy, don't tell anyone. In chapter three verse twelve, after an extensive healing campaign of which everyone saw—I mean, crowds of people saw—he tells them, "Don't tell anyone." In chapter five verse forty-three, when he raised this woman back from the dead, he said something in her, "Don't tell anyone." Really interesting. Why is he doing that? And by the way, if you've been following the Gospel of Mark you know that this is the area of the Decapolis, right? Who was in the area of the Decapolis? The demoniac, right? And what did Jesus tell the demoniac in Mark chapter 5? No, you can't go with me, but I want you to go back to that region and tell everybody that the Lord has had mercy on you. I don't get it. Do you want us to tell people or don't you want us to tell people? I don't get it. And I think that there's a tension here. What's going on? What's going on in the life of Jesus? I I think what we're seeing here, that what Mark is unfolding to us is this. That yes, Jesus is a miracle worker. And he will continue to heal. And he will bring healing. And he will speak and things will happen. But that is not the ultimate reason why he came to this earth. That's not the ultimate reason. He's not simply A miracle worker. You have to look beyond the miracles to understand the nature and the character of who he is. What's interesting is in Mark chapter 8, next week, Jesus is going to feed the 4,000 people. And and one of the things that Jesus will say after the feeding of the 4,000 is this. Why are you seeking me? You are seeking me not because of the signs that I gave you, You are seeking me because I fed you. I gave you loaves and fishes. In other words, why were they seeking Jesus? Because they wanted their bellies full. They wanted something else. They wanted healing. All of that stuff is good. But Jesus says, listen, I'm not just a miracle worker. I came ultimately with a message that the kingdom of God is approaching. Repent for the kingdom of God. And and think about it this way. Up to this point... In the gospel of Mark, what is missing in Jesus' message? What is missing? The cross. The cross. Mark chapter 8, in the next chapter, most people believe that this is the transition in the gospel of Mark. Jesus is on the road. They're walking up. They're going through Caesarea Philippi. And he asks the question, hey, guys, who do the people say that I am? Well, John the Baptist, maybe one of the prophets, Elijah. Well, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. That's who you are. Ding, 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 ding. Peter answers that. What does Jesus begin to tell him right there? I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to suffer. And what is Peter's initial reaction? No, Lord, no way. You can't go do that. What is missing in Jesus' message up to this particular point is the theme of the Gospel of Mark. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and what? Give His life as a ransom for many. What was missing that they had not come to understand at this particular point in the Gospel of Mark is this. i got to go to the cross. I'm not just a prophet. I don't just heal. What I need to do is I ultimately need to go to the cross and offer myself as a sacrifice for sin, so that the message of the cross can go forth, so that we can know and understand that we ultimately are forgiven for our sin. That's what they were missing up to this point. And that's why he's telling the demoniac, hey, by the way, you go out and tell everyone that God has had mercy on you. And for the rest of you, don't tell everyone, because what I'm going to do, I want to remind people that I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice for sin. And so we have in verse 37... The people were overwhelmed with amazement. He does everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. By the way, he even makes the deaf hear. That tells me most likely Jesus was doing other kinds of miracles that they were seeing and observing. But this particular one caught their notice in a wonderful way. So let me ask you something. What do we take away from this? What do we learn from this? What is hidden among the story? I want to suggest a couple of things. What can we take away? What can we learn from the life of Jesus as he goes on the road? Number one is this. Invest in people. Invest in people. I believe what's happening here is Jesus is going away into Gentile territory. And what he's doing is he's reminding the people, specifically the disciples, of what he had been called to do. Go back and look at the beginning of the gospel of Mark. It begins with these words, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. What they were seeing in the person of Jesus, what they were seeing in the life of Jesus, what they were seeing in the ministry of Jesus was the kingdom of God had arrived in the unique person of Jesus. The rule and the reign of Jesus is being established through his life and they're watching this go along. And immediately after Jesus makes that proclamation, you know what he does? He says, guys, by the way, guys, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Uh, do you ever see the guys doing any fishing at this particular point in time? Do they have a clue as to what's going on in life and what it means for them to be a fisher of men? Uh, Jesus proclaims a message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He has the power to call these men to follow him because I'm going to give you a unique privilege over the course of history regarding the kingdom of God. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And then Mark chapter 4, you know what he does? He goes up to a high mountain. He comes down. He prays for them. Mark chapter 4, it says, as he appointed 12, designating them as apostles that they might be with him, that he might send them out. What was Jesus doing? I believe on an extended seven, eight month period of time investing in the lives of his disciples. Which to me reminds myself and us, are we on a path to continue to learn about the person of Jesus? We are disciples. A disciple is what? A disciple is a learner. Are we continuing to learn and grow in our relationship with Jesus? And by the way, are we investing in other people, knowing the truths that we have? Are we passing on those truths? I think that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to make you fishers of me, but you got to be with me. And I, and I want you to follow me, and then I'm going to send you out, and you 12 people are going to radically change the world. And they're not there yet, are they? They're not even close to being there yet. I believe what Jesus is doing is he is investing his life into theirs, which is a great principle for us to be mindful of. I think there's a second thing we learn, and it's in verse 33. Jesus exhibits purposeful touch. I think he entered into the life of this guy who couldn't hear. and mute. I think he entered into his life in a powerful way. He lived with compassion. He demonstrated compassion. Notice as he looked up to heaven... Why is he looking up to heaven? I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. They were watching him look up and gaze to his heavenly father and live in dependence of him and live in respect of him and living under the umbrella of what God's will would be done. It is a simple look, but listen, it displays a lot about who Jesus is and the way that he lived and dependent dependence upon his heavenly father. And I think that's a principle for all of us. As we go about life. Are you living in dependence of your heavenly father? Are you looking up to heaven? Jesus said, keep your eyes focused on me. And who he is. By the way, notice what else this compassion looks like. It's a deep sigh. I-, I think there's two levels here. I think Jesus saw the condition of this guy. And his heart was broken. I mean, we could see that. You know, when we see somebody who's physically disabled... Man, our hearts go out to them. I think Jesus saw that. But I think there's a deeper level here. What's interesting, when you go and look at Jesus' compassion in light of the New Testament, he has compassion on Lazarus. Why? Because he sees people weeping. And he sees the broken condition of all of the people. He sees death. Not just in Lazarus, but he sees death in the world and he has compassion he weeps over Jerusalem. Why is he weeping over Jerusalem? Why does he have compassion over? Because the people of Jerusalem rejected him. And he's extending his arms, his grace out to people. And he sighs because there's a brokenness in the world. And you and I have been entrusted with the, the greatest message in the world. Do we sigh over the brokenness of the world or do we just become callous? Martin Luther said this, and it's really interesting when he said, listen, Martin Luther said this about the sigh. This sigh was not drawn from Christ on account of the single tongue and ear of this poor man, but is a common sigh over all tongues and ears, yea, over all hearts, bodies, and souls, and over all men from Adam to the last descendant. In other words, this was a sigh over the brokenness of the human condition and the human heart. I think there's something for us to learn from this. Are we willing to enter into the life, the context of other people in the manner in which Jesus did? I I saw a video of a gal who was blind. And the video was they were presenting her, this blind gal, they were presenting her with a cake. She was in a restaurant, and they were putting this cake in front of her. And obviously she's blind, she can't see it. But the baker did something very, very unique. On top of the cake, he put in Braille a message of happy birthday. And then they took her hands and put it on the top of the cake, and she read the message on the top of the cake in Braille. This baker entered into the world of this blind woman and communicated in an incredibly powerful way. And you and I sometimes have to crawl in the lives of other people in a powerful way, and it's yucky, and it's ugly. But we've got to do that because that's what Jesus did. Touching, spit, things that are, we'd look and go, that this, this, this doesn't even seem right anymore but Jesus crawled into the lives of other people. So we invest, we live with compassion. Number three, live dependent. This is very simple, but verse 34, epaphetha means be open. When you look at the life of Jesus, the miracles that he did, the words that he spoke, the the power to, to calm the sea, the way that he healed people, Jesus' simple words of be open should remind us that God's word is incredibly powerful. And we need to sit under the umbrella of God's Word and listen and be taught about God's Word and about who He is and what He's done for us. And when we do that, that only serves to fuel our tanks of who He is and what He's done for us. Are people a part of your life? I hope that they are. As God brings people into your life, I hope that we will live with compassion around them, that we will look up and we will be dependent upon Jesus. And I think there's another principle in here. It's this. And it's probably the true reason why Mark put this in here. Because I think what we do is we get the true purpose of why Jesus came, and that's to do this. To restore broken lives. To restore broken lives. Verse 32 says this, Some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly speak. Why does Mark... Why is Mark the only one that includes this in all of the Gospels? Why is this only in Mark alone? And maybe, maybe what Mark did was he left us a clue why it's in here. In verse 32, it says this, Then some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. He could hardly talk. What's interesting is this, that when you look at that word, the Greek translation of that word, the only other time that that word is used is in the Old Testament. When the Greek translators translated the Hebrew Old Testament into the Septuagint, they looked at a word and they changed the understanding of it. And it's from uh, Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. In Isaiah chapter 34, what the prophet does is he gives a message of doom. Judgment upon the nations is coming. And then in chapter 5, the tone changes. It's pointing to someone else. It's pointing to something else. It's pointing about restoration. And in in Isaiah chapter 35, listen to these words. It says this. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then they will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. That's the same word that's used in the gospel of Mark. Maybe what Mark is doing, he's taking us back to Isaiah and the restoration that the Messiah is one day going to bring and reminding us that when the Messiah comes, the the brokenness of this world is going to be healed by the nature and the character of who Jesus is. And by the way, if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, you also know about this. You know that when they talk about the blind. And the lame, in the book of Isaiah, it's the blind and the deaf. It's not just physical, but right? It's something else. It's spiritual. They're blind and they're deaf. Why? Because they have hardened their hearts to the nature of God. They've hardened their hearts to who God is. Maybe what we have is a beautiful picture of the Messiah Jesus coming, not only offering physical healing, but spiritual healing and going to the death on the cross so that people can be reconciled with a holy God. Remember what Jesus said, he who has ears to hear what? Let him hear. There's a spiritual dimension to what's going on here. Think about it. Centuries before Jesus came to be born in Bethlehem, God gave this message to his people, looking past the destruction of Jerusalem, the desolation, into a time when the kingdom of God would come in the unique person of Jesus Christ where he would give sight to the blind and he would give hearing to the deaf. He would loosen the tongue of the mute and the dumb and the lame would leave for joy. Mark has got to have that in the back of his mind. What a beautiful picture. Are you amazed yet? I hope so. Two more things and I'm done. People, dependently, compassion, restoration. Verse 32, live out what Jesus has done for you. Notice what he says. Then some people brought to him a man who was deaf. Who's the some people? Do you see any names in there? I don't see any names. Mark chapter 2, some people brought a paralytic to Jesus. Who are they? They're some people. We don't even know who they are. Some people brought other people in need to Jesus. What a reminder of the responsibility that we have to look at broken people, broken world, and say... I, I want to get you to Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. Uh, by the way, last week, Sunday, um, Adam Wainwright uh, retired. Did anyone hear the testimony from Chris Carpenter? I couldn't believe it. Chris Carpenter, the bulldog, the mean, the big, he stands up in front of a, thousands of people, 45, 50,000 people in the stadium. And he talks about the cardinal way and all of this and how great it is. And he says, but that's not the ultimate. I'm paraphrasing, but that's not the ultimate. The ultimate is the way that you live your life. And he talked about how he was given the responsibility when Adam Wainwright come to mentor him, to teach him the way, the cardinal way to mentor him. But what he found out was this, that Adam Wainwright was having an influence in his life. He says this, he invested in me without me even knowing it. Isn't that interesting? Carpenter saying, Adam Wainwright invested in me, and I didn't even know it. Why? He lived his life for Jesus. He simply lived his life for Jesus. Carpenter says this, I mean, uh, uh, Chris says this, April fourteenth, two 2010, a Bible was sitting on my chair at my locker, and it changed my life and it's the Bible that I read every day. I use this illustration to say, that's a simple way that Anna Raymond lived out his faith in the context of a baseball field. And you and I have the same privilege of entering the life of other people to live out the message of Jesus. And that's what he's doing. Live out what God has done in your life. Are you living out what God has done in your life in the presence of other people? How did the people in the Decapolis know about Jesus' healing power? I believe one of the reasons is because of the demoniac who went around telling everybody about, hey, man, I used to live in the tombs. I've been free. We need to do the same thing. The last thing, and then I'm absolutely done, is this, verse 37. Are you in awe of Jesus? Jesus does all things well. We are overwhelmed with amazement. Are you in awe of Jesus? Are you in awe of who he is and what he's done that Jesus... Has the absolute power to radically change a person's life. That He has the absolute power to change your life. Are you in awe of Jesus? This morning is really about worship. Susan hit it right on. It's it's ultimately about worship. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy, and we sit in awe of who you are and what you've done. Are you grateful what Christ has done in your life? What a great picture of the nature and the character of Jesus and all that he's done for us. Father, I hope that we are overwhelmed in amazement of who you are, the fact that you would come and save each one of us. Father, I thank you for the person of Jesus. Father, I, I, I do come to you this morning and I'm grateful for the way that you've changed our lives. And we continue to sit in humility around your word, recognizing that you, you've ultimately come to restore to restore the brokenness of this world. And Father, we are grateful for the cross. We're grateful for the way that you have changed us. And Father, I do pray that you would burn that message deep within our hearts, that you would allow us the opportunity to be a vessel of your goodness and grace to other people, that we would touch the lives of those who need to hear about Jesus. Father, thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.